Okay, so uh, welcome into the basement, an old friend, a guy that actually played at my wedding, not in, you know, the, the typical wedding band, you know, no, no, he was at the church, he was up next to the organ, and he was blaring his trumpet as uh, the bride walked down the aisle, it was pretty awesome, the principal trumpet for the BPO, Alex Jacopi joins us on uh, Bull in the Basement, in the basement, Alex, it's been a long time, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, it has been a while, for sure. Um, so I have 8 million questions for you because I don't know anything about like orchestras and musical instruments. Cause I'm an old man and I'm completely impatient when it comes to instruments. Like I have a guitar and a keyboard in my basement, like right, literally I'm touching the keyboard right now, right next to me, right. but I'm so impatient. I refuse to even take a second, to even learn about it. It's just, uh, anyway, <laughs> anyway. Um, so let's talk about you. And like I said, we're going to talk a lot about you. We're going to talk a lot about what you do because it's it's super interesting. And I think people are going to love this and really be um, informed because I say all the time on this podcast, you're going to do at least two things. You're going to learn something. You're going to laugh a lot. So um, let's start here. First instrument for you as a kid, because everybody has one. They go to school. You got to do some sort of instrument. It's one of the things for music class. What did you do? Trumpet. Right out of the gate. Yeah. I started with trumpet because um, my parents wanted me to at least try an instrument. And I didn't really, I, well, I originally wanted to play the drums and that got vetoed. Um, and my mother had played trumpet when she was a, a student and we had an instrument at the house. So I just chose it so we wouldn't have to buy one or rent one when I started out. That's pretty awesome because I was a drummer in fifth and sixth grade and I was terrible. Like I could do the rock beat, <laughs> but that was about right. it. And mom and dad yes. weren't about to buy me a drum set either. They weren't in, you know, they, that, those were kind of expensive and still are these days. So uh, that was about the extent of my drum playing. I can play great air drums like most, but um, anyway. Okay. So now we know what your first trumpet or your first instrument mm -hmm. was as a kid and why. Um, did you fall in love with it automatically? Was it frustratingly tough to learn at the beginning? Like were you automatically good when you started? Oh, I definitely wasn't automatically good. Um, and I mean, I don't know. I liked it from the start, I would say. But it was just another thing to do at school. And I mean, I, I enjoyed it very much, but I was into sports and, you know, I did just about everything. So I didn't really get what I would consider serious about it until right before I went to college. No kidding. That's really interesting. Um so there are uh, lots of options when you're, we'll fast forward now to high school, obviously. So you got like, you know, jazz band and, and orchestra and maybe pit band and maybe marching band. Did you do any or all of those in, in school? Yeah, any, you name it, I did it. I did all of that stuff for sure. I mean, I guess that probably the turning point for me was, like I said, I was into all sports, basketball, baseball, football, everything. Um, and in the transition from JV to varsity football. I grew up in um, upper Michigan. So football was a big thing up there. Um, but marching band was big too. Um, the two a day practices for varsity conflicted <laughs> with the um, marching band camp. And I wasn't very good at football and I didn't particularly like pain that much. So that was a pretty easy choice. And that's when I started to focus more on, you know, music. All right. So wait a minute. Hold on a second. So I was a football player and same as you, I, you know, pain is not great. Nobody likes pain, 
Um, but I wasn't good at an instrument. So you're telling me that band camp is everything they make it out to be? Yeah, it pretty much is. <laughs> <laughs> That's and I knew I wasn't going to get paid any money to play football. I can tell you that. Right. That that's, that's a great point. Talk to walk me pun intended, walk me through being in a marching band because I watch marching bands and I like drum line for me to watch drum lines and, and, and things like that is just mind like watching like the grambling marching band is mind blowing to me that these people are actually yeah. able to play intricate, you know, musical pieces while at the same time moving in a bunch of different directions. So they're not only thinking about the song as they're playing, but they're counting. The, I mean, like walk me through how that works. Hmm. It's been a while, but um, I guess how I would describe it is you, you do everything separate first. Like you learn all the music by itself, sitting down with, you know, no motion attached to it. And then when you're learning the, they call it the drill, you know, that's the, the movement piece of it on the field. Um, back when I did it, you had these binders with sheets and sheets of paper that had pictures of the football field and little icons for each musician. And you would locate yourself. And it was kind of like a, a script in a sense. And it had a, a musical timing across the top and then a picture. And you had to figure out you had this amount of time to get from this page to the next page. And then, so you would go out onto the field and do one page at a time, adding them on to each other. And then when you got a few of them, you know, more or less memorized all your spots to get to, then you throw the music on top of it and just keep expanding it out from there. Yeah. I mean, that Corey, I, I, I maintain anybody that's ever in a marching band is, deserve so much credit than they ever get because it, it you're you're putting a bunch of different faculties all into place at once and perfecting it you watch the ohio state marching band you're like oh my i'm sorry it's probably a bad word for you i'm sorry you, you're michigan guy so i'm sorry but yeah but you know where i'm going with that sure. um so from okay so now you're marching band and now you're you're, you're trumpet um does a does a trumpeter have an icon is, is there somebody that you listen to that you're like wow i want to be this guy or that woman hmm I mean, growing up, I was a little more oriented towards jazz than classical. And I would say my earliest um, inspirations were probably a trumpeter by the name of Maynard Ferguson, mm -hmm. kind of like a high note guy. Um, actually, not he didn't um, live too far from here, up near Toronto. Yeah. Um, and Miles Davis, of course. And then as I got a little older, Wynton Marsalis, for sure. Did you, were you ever able to meet or play with any of those guys? Um, I've met Winton on numerous occasions and actually I've met Maynard a couple times. He used to have a regular visit at the Trough here when I first came to town. I met him a couple times down there. So that was really cool later in life as a professional to meet one of my, you know, early, early inspirations. But, you know, I say, as I, as I started studying classical more, seriously definitely um the principal trumpet of the chicago symphony at the time his name was bud herseth he's passed away now and actually my former teacher the principal trumpet of the new york philharmonic phil smith i mean those were the you know the gold standards once i really started getting serious about it it's it's pretty i mean the story's really pretty awesome and your 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 resume is incredible you mentioned the New York Philharmonic and you've played with a bunch of Dallas I know and you studied abroad and you went to um, uh, Juilliard right is that right yeah 
Um, is that is that a must have for anyone that's in an orchestra to go to a school like that or like the Eastman, for instance, or can you just be really good and get into an orchestra? Well, of course, if you're really good, you will find work. No question about yeah. it. But that being said, I would I don't know, if, you know, exact numbers, but I would bet probably 90 percent of the people in the BPO either went to Juilliard, um, Eastman. There's a school in Philly called the Curtis Institute, um, the Cleveland Institute of Music. Those are all, you know, comparable type schools, conservatories. And I would say the vast majority of us all at least spent a little time at a school like that. So I was going to use this question near the end, but I know you were, I don't know if you still are, we're, we're teaching at Fredonia. Are you still doing that or not? Yeah. I'm okay. the head of the, the trumpet studio at Fredonia. Yeah, that's what I thought. So are you anywhere near Terrence Fletcher from Whiplash? I mean, are, are people's lips bleeding when they're practicing and stuff like that? No, not at all. <laughs> that, you know, that movie was great. I loved it. And I have certainly encountered teachers like that in my career. I never had one as a primary teacher, but I would say that movie was more a you know, a caricature of a type. And especially now, I mean, if you tried to employ those teaching techniques that were kind of alluded to in the movie, I think you'd get run out of the building. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so how does one, you're going, so you went, uh, you went to like, we'll call it normal college uh, before you went to a specialty school in terms of Juilliard. So you go through all that, how ultimately, and, and, and at what point, so clearly at some point you knew not only that you were interested in pursuing this as maybe a career, but that you were good enough to do what you're doing now. What, at what point, where, where, where was the light bulb moment for that, do you recall? Well, you know, when I went to undergrad school, I went to Western Michigan in Kalamazoo, <clears throat> excuse me, and I went there and got a, a degree in education, music education, and that was primarily because both of my parents were teachers and they, I wouldn't say they insisted on that, but they strongly encouraged it. Um, and my, I want to say my third year of undergrad was right around the time that the wall came down in Europe. And there is a really famous Russian trumpet virtuoso and teacher named Timofey Dokshitzer. And Basically, he was living, I think, in St. Petersburg or Leningrad at the time. Um, and the minute the wall came down, he just bugged out to the closest non-communist place he could go. And that happened to be Helsinki, Finland, very close to St. Petersburg. And the timing just worked out that my teacher at Western Michigan was really connected to a thing called the International Trumpet Guild. And it's just a network of trumpet players and teachers around the world. And he was aware that Doc Schitzer um, was leaving and gonna become a professor at a place called the Sibelius Academy in Helsinki. And he, one day he just basically came in and said, you're gonna go to Helsinki next year. And he worked it all out. I mean, you know, it, it was, I was kind of taken aback, you know, he just basically told me you're gonna do this. And I, that was probably the aha moment because I went from a, you know, school not unlike UB, big university, um, 
to a conservatory and I had no exposure to that type of environment prior to that. And I was like, oh, I like this, number one. And number two, I can hang with these other kids. So that I think that was probably the, the beginnings of, of that for me. Tell me a little bit about your time there. Well, I mean, like I said, it was complete culture shock. Um, and ironically, I still had family in Finland at the time. Both of my uh, father's parents were immigrants from Finland in the early 20th century. In fact, my dad was not an English speaker until he went to school. <clears throat> um, so it wasn't completely foreign to me, no pun intended, um, because I had been there numerous times. But I mean, for any, I think I was 21, you know, just being dropped in a foreign country was, the first couple of months were rough. And I will say that, I mean, I don't know how familiar your viewers, listeners are with kind of Finnish culture, but um, the people at first are very closed and reserved. And it's not super welcoming, but once you get to, once you forge some relationships with people, it's extremely welcoming. So that first probably three months was, it was crazy. I mean, I felt really isolated and, you know, I didn't know the language well enough. Um, but once I, you know, broke in a little bit, it, I was, I'm, if you would have asked me right after it was over, I would have been like, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> but now that I look back on it, you know, 30 years later, it's probably one of the best things I ever did. What do you think? So, okay, you come back when, you, when you're finished with that, you come back to the States. Um, and I think if I'm not mistaken, you went to grad school and got your master's, right? Is when you came back or something like well, that? Yeah, I had, I had to finish my music ed degree. So I had one okay. more year in Kalamazoo, right. but then I went to, uh, New York. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you do that. So then, then take me through the process of what's next when you, when you go through that, because obviously there's, you know, hundreds and hundreds of kids that go to schools like that, that want to do what you're doing or want to do. So what's the next step after that? Well, the next step is once you get to Juilliard, um, you mean, depending what level you're at, I was at a fairly good level at that point. I just started taking every audition that came up and just keep trying and trying and trying until you break through. Okay, stupid question, but funny. Did you ever busk? No. Well, no. actually, I, I, I have busked in Japan, actually. But, not, well, did I ever do it in New York? You know, not in a traditional sense, no. Yeah. But definitely, um, we, we took a group, a brass group to Japan a couple of times when we were students. And I don't remember who, but someone, you know, one of our hosts said, hey, you should just go play on the street. And we did. And it was kind of shocking what happened. So you made tens of tens of dollars. Enough to buy beer. <laughs> that's all that matters. Yeah, and to do that in Japan, that's expensive. For sure, for sure. It has enabled you to see a lot of the world, right? What you do? Yeah, I mean, I've been everywhere pretty much except for Australia or Antarctica. That's incredible. That's really incredible. Um, so now you're 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 done with school school's over now you got to go out into the air quotes real world even though you've already lived a lot of that um 
So, so where do you go from there? Well, I left school. Um, I actually finished my master's and started a doctorate. And in the middle of the doctorate, I won a job in Charleston, South Carolina. So I left school to go do that job. So, so for for to get that job, you're basically does somebody send you, hey, there's an opening here, there's an opening there, there's an opening there. You send your resume and a tape. Like, how does that work? Well, it depends on the job, but um, basically, there's a union newspaper that comes out every month, and, and the orchestras that have openings advertise them in the in the paper, and you send them a resume, and they either invite you to come and audition or ask for supplemental materials like a recording or references or whatever. Most orchestras, it, you know, if you're motivated enough to get there, um, because it's all on your own dime, um, they will make time to hear you play. So that's the, you know, it is a very democratic sort of process in that sense. Um, how do you end up in Buffalo? Well, while I was in Charleston, um, they had Buffalo had an audition and I came up here and was lucky enough to win. And you've been here ever since. Yeah. Since 1998. That's awesome. Um, so let me ask you this. Why are, why are some orchestras more air quotes like renowned or famous than others? Is it very simply because of the numbers in them, the talent in them, what city they're in, because maybe they're in a bigger city and they can market them better. Like what, what makes one orchestra more famous or, or renowned than another? Well, I would say probably the biggest thing is tradition. You know, if you look at the high, most highly regarded orchestras in the U.S., you know, they all have very long storied traditions. And that could include just being around for a long period of time or, you know, at certain points in their lives, if you will, had very influential conductors that shaped um the sound of the orchestra or, you know, things like that. Um, but the cold, hard truth of it is probably the biggest factor is budget. Yeah. And, and budget is tied to the size of the city and the amount of support. Um, so obviously the orchestras in the biggest cities are the most well-known, um, but that doesn't mean they necessarily are playing on a wildly different level from other orchestras. It's just the resources they have. So I'm assuming you're very, very proud of, of what you and, and your air quotes bandmates do with the BPO uh, and seeing that you've been around the world playing, should people be more, I don't know, I'll use the word appreciative, I guess, of what we have right here in Buffalo. Oh, I think they're very appreciative of what we have yeah. here. I, think that's a that thought never even you know crosses my mind um what i would say about the bpo is that for an orchestra its size and a city its size we definitely um punch above our weight class there's no question about that um you know in the last well 10 plus years i would venture that we may be the most recorded orchestra, if not one of like top five most recorded orchestras in the country. I mean, we do at least two or three um, international releases a year. I mean, COVID threw everything funny, but yeah, just recorded a CD last week um, for the record label that we're on is called Noxos. 
Um, and then we're doing another one in April. So, I mean, we're right, right back at it. And we actually released one during COVID. One of the last things we did before we shut down for the pandemic was um, play th this concert of pieces by a, a composer by the name of Florence Schmidt. And we were going to record them studio style, but Noxos wanted to get the music out. So they just used the concert um, recordings and, and put those out. So, you know, and as, so we're very recorded as an orchestra, which in this day and age, as you know, in the music industry, everything's kind of upside down as far as that goes. So just the fact that we're doing it that much is huge. And um, while we don't tour as much as other, you know, more internationally known orchestras, um, for an orchestra our size, we're on the road some, quite regularly. Um, I'm, I'm going to use a football reference only because most of what I do on this is is, is sports based, as you know. Um, so, and let's let's talk to Bills, for instance. So, there's like a quarterback room, there's an offensive line room, there's a wide receiver room. So, in the orchestra, I'm assuming there's a, a trumpet room and or a brass room. Like, I guess my question is, do you know everybody in the band? And, and oh, obviously, absolutely. okay. Yeah. I mean, we kind of, there's a lot of co-mingling that goes on, but, you know, I, I think we kind of do stick to our areas, if you will. Right. Um, when it comes to, I mean, there's obviously so much music to choose from. Does the conductor, and I'm assuming Joanne Falada and whoever's conducting for the BPO is the, is the one that makes choices that, that decides here, this is what we're going to play. Is she the one or, or is there a group of people or how does that work? I would say Joanne pretty much decides, you know, the vast majority of what repertoire we're going to play. She might get suggestions from various people, but I mean, that's her call. Does she pick based on things that she likes? Or again, this is sort of a football reference. So a coach will have like a game plan and they will apply they'll do one of two things they'll either apply the game plan to the team they the roster they have or they'll do their own thing and hope that their roster can do that so i guess my question is does she i'll call it the set list draw up the set list based on your strengths or does she do it based on what she likes and knows you can learn and play i would say it's probably a little bit of both but i mean the, the orchestra is definitely known for playing music from the late 1800s, early 1900s, which would be loosely considered late romantic music. Um, that would probably be our, our wheelhouse, I guess, if you want to call it that. Um, and she definitely chooses repertoire that fits those parameters. But that being said, you know, I think when she goes about um, programming an entire year, she wants it to have some sort of arc to it. And that will influence choices. And then I, I think there's also an element, you know, as you alluded to, she'll pick a couple things that aren't our normal comfort zone just to get us to stretch out a little bit. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so let's talk about the conductor very quickly. Again, this is from somebody that knows absolutely nothing about what you do. So baton, the whole thing, yada, yada, yada. So you're supposed to be, again, I don't know this, you're supposed to be watching her, but you also if not you, but mostly other people, I'm assuming have some sort of sheet music in front of you. So what are you looking at when you're playing? Everything. For me, because I'm the leader of the brass section, I have a couple different levels of 
I guess you would call it responsibility. But first and foremost, you know, I'm there to try to facilitate Joanne's vision, if you will. You know, we're all taking information in from her to try to execute what um, plan she has. So there's that level. And then obviously I'm looking at the music that's in front of me. So I'm looking at her, looking at my music. And then I'm also a lot of the time um, looking at the concert master who is, you know, immediately to her left. Um, because there's a little, you know, I wouldn't say indiscrepancy, but visually what you see and orally what you hear aren't always exactly aligned in the same spot time-wise. So especially the further back on the stage you get when we're in the back row, you have to anticipate a little bit to allow the sound time to get up there. So we're approximating with a great deal of precision if that's not, you know, an oxymoron, um, when to play based on what she does and what we see the concert master do. That's so interesting and so behind the scenes. Like, that is so cool. I would have never known this. Again, this is why you're watching this, folks. You're learning things. And we've laughed along the way, too. Um, has a conductor ever given you the look? Like, where you might have, that, that precise moment might have been a little off and they might have looked at you like, has <laughs> it ever happened? Of course. It yeah. happens to everybody. Yeah. I mean, the important thing with that is that you have built up a rapport with whomever that conductor is. Yeah. Number one. And then number two, you actually have to be in the moment because if you worry about what you might screw up, you're definitely going to screw up. And then if you are obsessed about something that didn't go as well as you wanted, that's not going to help either. So, I mean, you know, for all the practicing and rehearsing we do, ultimately it is a, it happens in a moment. It's very much like sports in that sense. As a spectator, when I watch the orchestra play, it just, it, it's mind blowing to hear the sound that you guys can put out. When you're playing it, do you feel that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's really loud. <laughs> but I, that, that, that just that, that adrenaline, that exhilaration as you're doing it must be incredible when you're on stage. Then obviously you, at times can peek away maybe if your part's not up and you're not playing at a particular time and you look at the way the audience is reacting. I mean, it's gotta be incredible. Yeah. I mean, for what we do in the back row in particular, um, it's a lot like either the burners on full blast or it's completely off. There's very little middle ground. Um, so there's a lot of downtime. And then when you're required to do something, it gets very intense and it's very intense for a, short amount of time if you were to ask the string players you know they're just kind of on a medium high heat <laughs> all the time um what's your um what's a song that you wish you never had to play again hmm. i mean again because i'm not anybody that knows anything about anything but flight of the bumblebee i don't know i mean you just you know i i could live the rest of my career without ever having to do the messiah again there you go perfect <laughs> I mean, it's great music, but I, I, I could live without it. What's, what's a classic rock band that maybe you guys haven't done something Philharmonic with that you wish you could at some point? Hmm. Tough question, I know. It's, 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 I'm just We've done it. just about every one you can think of at I this know, you've point. done a ton, yeah. I don't know. Have you done Yes? 
No, I no, I haven't. If if we've done it, I wasn't there. That doesn't okay. really, that that would be interesting. But I man, those charts would be really hard to put together. Yeah. Um. Were Were you guys uh, like Metallica when they were symphonic? What did What did you think? Yeah, about no, that? we we never did it. I thought it was good. That thing with San Francisco Symphony turned right. out real nice. Yeah. yeah. Um. Bucket list for you to to play with doesn't have to be symphonic. Can be. Any kind of music, any band, anything. What's a bucket list for you that you would love to be able to do someday? Wow, that's another tough one. I mean, there's so many great groups. I mean, if I had to pick an orchestra to play with, it would be the Concertgebouw Orchestra in Amsterdam. Um, because it's me, in Amsterdam or because it's because they're great? They're just absolutely great. Amsterdam doesn't hurt either, but... <laughs> I don't think I'm ever going to get invited to play with them. So <laughs> what's the weirdest place you've ever played besides my wedding? Wow. Hmm. I got to think about that weirdest place. And the streets of Tokyo. Yeah. Now it was Kyoto, but <laughs> I don't, that's a tough one. Do you ever play like in the snow? Of course. Yeah. Marching band all the time. No, that's true. That's true. Yeah. But I mean, I can't think of anything particularly weird. Uh, no. well, 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 ponder that for a second as you ask yeah. the next, another question. So if Bruno Mars, Phil Collins in his solo height or earth, wind and fire called you to go on tour with them, what do you say? Well, earth, wind and fire is a no brainer just because they have the best parts for sure. Right. But then you have to think, all right, Earth, Wind, and Fire, I'm going to really be working hard. <laughs> you know, so it's going to be stressful. Um, maybe Phil Collins would be a little easier. And, well, yeah, I'd have to go Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yeah, that would be, that would be pretty hot, man. Because you're yeah. yeah, right. They're, they are working a lot. They, they, they definitely break a sweat. And yeah. um, last thing, um, do you hate the term pucker up? No, that's fine. <laughs> that's what we do, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Well, I know, but you've been doing it a long time. You're like, ah, right. I know, I know. It's what we do. Right. Um, what would you tell parents of kids that, um, you know, maybe you're struggling going through their musical instruments, and you know, and and I don't know, maybe even don't even like it. I mean, what would you tell them? P keep pushing them. Let them be. What 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 advice would you give for for parents or even? Um, you know, teachers at a, at a elementary, middle, high school level, what would you tell them to with, with some of their students? Well, the teachers would, would know this for sure. But the, the biggest thing I would tell parents is, I mean, number one, if your kid is miserable doing it, you know, maybe it's not for them. Right. But that said, it's amazing, especially when you're, you know, in fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, how much a little bit of practice, and I'm talking like, 15 minutes in a day will make you improve. And it's a very much a self-fulfilling thing. You practice a little bit, you get better, you sound better, you have more fun doing it. You practice more, you get better, you know, and once you hit a critical mass, I think, you know, it, it becomes really enjoyable. And the social part of music for school kids, I mean, that's why I really stuck with it. So all my friends were doing it. And, you know, it was a pretty well ingrained social kind of event. 
let me circle back to that very quickly. And I've, I'm famous for doing this, but so were you guys cool to the football team? Do they know who you are? Yeah, I don't think we were uncool. Yeah. But, you know, the sports was so big at my school, but music was, I mean, I would say there were as many kids in music as there were in sports. Yeah. And, you know, I grew up in a, a very large school for upper Michigan, but small by all other standards. And I think in my class of 300, there are at least six or seven people that are still working full-time professional musicians. Wow. That's incredible. And I mean, if you just think of the percentages, that's an absurd percentage. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that tells you what kind of environment we had. I mean, I was so lucky to, to have grown up there and, you know, a lot of that's the luck of the draw, but there's great schools around here that have the same sort of environment. Um. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, and, and listen, if, if you're a sports fan, you know, especially when it comes to football or basketball, especially college or high school, I mean, the bands are a huge, huge, huge part of that experience. Like if you were to eliminate bands, whether it's a pit band or a marching band from high school or college football or basketball, it would be a completely different environment. And it would certainly not be as fun. That's for sure. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, one of my most fun things in undergrad school as I was in the hockey band for Western Michigan and they were a, a consistently really good hockey team back then. So, I mean, it was fun. We we're going to all the tournaments, frozen four and all that. And it was great. And those bands are really famous for what instrument? The. Hockey cow- band, the cowbell hockey oh. bands always <laughs> have a cowbell, right? I guess I, yeah. Now that you mentioned <laughs> There's no, there's no cowbell player in the BPO, correct? Well, yeah, sometimes there is. Really? Yeah, there we have things that have cowbell parts. <laughs> that's that's phenomenal. Phenomenal. Hey, um, it's been great to catch up, man. I, I learned a ton. I'm certain the viewers and listeners have learned a ton as well. Plug anything you want. Um, you know, BPO, what do you, what do you some events you got coming up, uh, et cetera? Well, we're in full swing right now. Uh, just go on BPO.org and check out what's happening. I think uh, Leslie Odom's coming in a couple of weeks. So that's a huge one. Um, but we have a full schedule of, of stuff happening. So just hit the web and there's something for everybody. I hope to see you at the Leslie Odom performance because I'm a huge Hamilton fan. And, and so, well, my wife and neighbors got me into it, whatever, but it's uh, such a monster performance and he is such a great um, uh, performer. So that should be super cool. And I know that's in about a week and a half. Um, yeah. So that should be awesome, man. Great to catch great. up. Thanks for, thanks for doing this, man. Sure. Hope you enjoyed your time in the basement. All right. Take care, man. Thanks. Later.